Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. It belongs to you. You've created it. God, you've created us. Everyone in this room, God, you know and you've created us intricately. You've given us breath in our lungs this morning to breathe you, to praise you. And God, may the breath that comes out of our mouths and everything we say and do honor you and worship you. This morning, Lord, we want to hear from you, speak to our hearts, and change us from the inside out. We love you, Lord. We pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, going on what Dwight said, if you guys bring me a fish next week, I will mail it back to you. It will not smell as good as it did when you gave it to me. Just know that. It will smell a little fishy. That's right. Well, speaking of fish stories, you know I like to fish. I don't have a fish story per se, but I do have a canoeing story this morning to kick us off with. Um, and so in 2004, when I was at the great university of Texas A&M, which I'm talking about, 2004, some of you were probably just four years old, uh, my, my good friend that I was going through school with, his name's Philip, Philip Woods, we got this bright idea, oh, I already see the canoe is on the screen, get this bright idea to take my 17-foot long canoe and to pack it with everything we would need for about seven days. In College Station, where Texas A&M is located, there's a river that runs through that. Anybody know the name of that river? The Brazos River, that's right. The Brazos River is one of the ugliest rivers you'll ever see. It looks like chocolate milk. But anyway, so we, we got this bright idea that we would load my canoe down with food, tents, water, and everything we thought we might need to take a journey from College Station, Texas, down to the Gulf of Mexico. Just to give you perspective, that's 188 river miles. That's about from here to Austin, Texas. And we figured if the flow of the river was about five miles an hour, and we were paddling here and there, it would probably make about 25 miles a day, and we could maybe do it in seven days. And so we did. We started off, it was December, and it was cold. Um, in fact, it was so cold, a couple nights, I cannot confirm or deny if there might have been a little man spooning going on. <laughs> I can't believe y'all are laughing at that. Yeah, it was cold, and, and so it got so cold, we decided, well, let's try to do this journey as fast as we possibly can so that we can get back into modern civilization. So one night, we decided to paddle all the way through the night. Not the smartest idea we ever had. In fact, just being on the journey itself might not have been smart. But that night, there was no moon. And you could see the stars were really bright, but it was pitch black. And so we would try to stay in the center of this river. And Philip was in the back, and I was in the front. And my job was to make sure there were no obstacles in front of us. And uh, his job, every now and then, was to pull out the map and kind of see where we were. And, you know, he could tell maybe if we went over this bridge and we took a big bend right here, that maybe we were halfway through our journey. And so he was back there at night with his little headlamp on, and he's looking at the map. And I'm up in the front, and I'm stargazing. Ah, look at those stars. And all of a sudden, I hear something that sounds like rushing water. And I, I'm listening. I'm like, hey, Pete, do you hear that? <laughs> he's busy doing his thing. And I keep listening, and we're getting closer to it. And then I start to make out what looks to be a bridge up in front of us. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no lock and dams on this river. There's no waterfalls. I'm thinking, what is that sound? 
And as we get closer to the bridge, I see one of the giant pylons in front of us. And we're about from maybe here to the wall, the back wall, that pylon. And then I start to make out that these giant logs, when the river was high at times, are now plastered up against this pylon. And the sound I am hearing is the water rushing underneath these giant dam of logs, decapitating logs. So I yell like a girl, ah, <laughs> dig left, dig left. So we start paddling hard. We barely narrowly escape this rushing water under these logs. It would have ended our journey. It probably would have killed us. I mean, we probably have gotten stuck under these logs. And I probably wouldn't be here today. But you'd have thought we'd have learned our lesson that night. We kept going. Oh, yeah. I said, I never claimed I was the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? We keep going. And again, we find ourselves on this nice, calm stretch. And by now, we've got our headlamps on, and we're kind of looking around. We're, we're more alert. And we see, yeah, we're more alert. We see this giant barge off to the side of the river. And now I know we're getting closer down to the, more of the shipping area if there's a giant barge off to the side. And what we didn't see was this long stretch of cable connected to the barge running straight out into the river. There was anchoring it from going anywhere. And again, we're going at about five to six miles an hour rate. And all of a sudden, I noticed this glimmering thing in front of me. And next thing I know, I am lifted out of the canoe on a cable. And now I'm in Philip's lap. <laughs> How we didn't turn the canoe over right then is beyond me. But at that moment in time, we realized we don't need to be on this river at night. This is stupid. Let's park and go to sleep. More manspooning happened. Our goal is to make it to the Gulf of Mexico. So on our last day, we finally get to the port, the mouth of the Brazos River. So you go to the mouth of the river here. This is actually the mouth of the river, the Brazos. At this particular picture, it doesn't look as high as this. But you see those waves out in the distance in front of the mouth? That's probably about 200 meters to a quarter mile out in the ocean. And we thought to ourselves, well, in order to say that we actually made it to the Gulf, we need to paddle out about a quarter mile. Again, not my brightest move. And so... If you've ever seen the mouth of a river going into the ocean, it's turbulent. Waves are going every which you know, direction. You've got the tide coming this way. You've got the current of the river going out. Something's got to give in there. And so we start going along. And you can picture this. Go back to the canoe. Philip's in the back, and I'm in the front. And we would go down in these swells where you would see Philip, and then you would see me. And then you would see Philip. And it was like a seesaw action. It was kind of fun. And we're just going along. <clears throat> not thinking about the risk we're putting our lives at. In fact, it's so dangerous at the mouth of rivers. Let me just give you an example. <clears throat> there was a Coast Guard helicopter flying above us just waiting for us to turn over so they could rescue us. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We got about a quarter mile out, and we thought, well, we better turn around now. We turn around, and where it probably took us 10 minutes to get out that far, took us another 45 to get back paddling against the current. I was so thankful. When I got back on land, I kissed the sand. And when I looked up, I saw about 10 memorial crosses where people had perished in the mouth of that river. It's amazing that we didn't. It's amazing that God spared our lives 
in that instance, or I should say those seven days, when we weren't exactly making the brightest of choices. Now, I'll come back to that story in a little bit. In fact, this story has no bearing on our message at all this morning. It's just a fun story to tell. <laughs> no, it'll help us illustrate a little bit in your minds the passage we're going to read this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn open to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 22, and we're going to notice a very familiar passage there where Jesus calms the storm. In fact, the disciples and Jesus found themselves in a similar situation that Philip and I were in when we got out in the mouth of that river. It'll be up here on the screen behind me, and we'll go ahead and, and start reading. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. I can remember that time. The disciples went and woke up Jesus, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Crazy passage, maybe, maybe not for these disciples, had no idea what they're getting themselves into when Jesus says, let's cross the other side of the lake. But there's one thing we need to know about Jesus, well, several. In almost any passage where you see Jesus with his disciples, three things are going on. Jesus, number one, was intentional about doing the will of the Father. Number two, Jesus would invite others to be a part of his journey. Come back up. And number three, Jesus would invest in those people he was doing life with. And if we're going to follow along with the vision of our church, how many of you guys know our first vision at Wood's Edge? I'll give you a hint. It's our motto in our student ministry. What is it, Maggie? Olivia, sorry. Love Jesus, okay. Something about disciple-making... Just to give you guys and catch up to speed, one of Jeff's main visions for Wood's Edge is that we would be a people that disciple others. We would all be disciple makers, discipling others, then in turn disciple and disciple. It's also the greatest commission that Jesus gave at the end of his life, but we'll get to that in a second. So Jesus was intentional about everything he did, and he was intentional about what he did with his disciples. And so we've got to look at a few things. What does it look like to be intentional? if we're going to model Jesus as our true disciple maker. What does the word intentional mean? Does anybody know? What is it? Confidence? On purpose, yes. That's right. Intentional about something. It's planned. It's on purpose. It's deliberate. It's calculated. Philip and I did not calculate the risk that we went on on the Brazos River. We were not very intentional about getting ourselves into that kind of danger. But Jesus and everything he did was intentional. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Jesus had probably gotten alone with the Father and God said, Son, I want you to take your disciples across that lake. And if you keep reading in that passage, a few verses on down, we'll read that Jesus actually encounters one of the most violent men that he'll ever encounter in his ministry. He goes over to the region of the Gerasenes, and there he, he, he comes across a man that has a spirit within him named Legion, 
And this guy is so violent that nasty things happen. You think Jesus told his disciples where they were going? No, he just said, get in the boat and we're going to go. But Jesus was obedient because he was intentional about doing the will of the Father. And if we're going to be true disciple makers, we've got to be all about being in the will of the Father. And it starts with getting alone with God. I might ask you, how intentional are you about getting alone with the Father every day? How intentional are you about setting some time aside to just be in the quietness? I guarantee you, you guys have so much noise in your life. I mean, we could just list it. And I could probably start first with just school. I was just talking with Ryan Shannon this morning, and he's out there doing chemistry homework. And I know if somebody's doing chemistry homework at church on a Sunday morning, he's busy. And I would bet most of you are busy in many mannerisms as that. I mean, just take, for instance, social media. How many, how many of you guys just try to keep up with social media? What's going on in, in popular culture? It's just noise. But I might ask you, how often are you truly getting alone with the Father and spending time just listening? God, what would you have for me today? God, I'm going to school today. Who would you have me meet? How could I be in the hands and feet of Jesus? It starts with listening with God, and it continues with us being obedient. Jesus heard from the Father, go to the other side of the lake. So immediately, they get in the boat, and they go to the other side of the lake. You can think of it like this. A football team, the quarterback. Nowadays, they have cool little headsets in their ears, in their helmets. It's crazy where technology has come from. But the quarterback, before each play, before he even huddles up with his team, will get along to the side. You probably will watch them. And they'll cup their hands over their helmet, and they'll listen for their coach, who's either on the sideline or up in the stadium somewhere, call the play. He'll get the play, and he'll go back in the huddle, and he'll tell the rest of his teammates. They'll line up, and they'll execute it. They'll execute it. Could you imagine if that quarterback never received, never took the time to listen to the play, got in the huddle and goes, um, guys, we're just going to wing it. Good luck. All right. That's a hut. They're going to get creamed. Think about it. If you never listen to the Father and you never heard his voice telling you which way you should go, you're going to step up into life and the enemy is going to cream you. You don't have any direction if you do that. So important to be in the Father's will and to listen. How are you spending your time doing X, Y, Z every day is one of the most important things that you can be intentional about. And maybe more important than that is how and who are you inviting to do life with? I'll be our second point this morning. For those of you note takers, who are you inviting into your life, into this journey to do life with, to disciple? Jesus invited those close to him. He invited those who were available and those who desired to be a part of something greater than themselves. They were everyday people. In fact, if you look at Matthew 4:19, Jesus goes up to these fishermen, and we're going back to fisher, fisher peoples. He goes to these fisher peoples, everyday peoples, and he says, Hey, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These were ordinary people, they were regular Joes. No pun intended but they were available and they wanted to be a part of something greater than themselves. He invited those kinds of people into his life to do life with. If you look back just two chapters in Luke chapter six, before he even chose his 12 disciples, it says that Jesus got away on the mountaintop, okay? 
There we see Jesus be intentional again about getting along with the Father, to be in the Father's will. And then it says he prayed all night long before he chose the 12. All night. This was not just some choosing teams to be part of the Sandlot football team. This was not, hey, we're going to go play Red Rover. I need 12 guys right now. Which guys? Which guys? These were people that were going to carry on the legacy of who he was and what he came to this earth to do. How much more important is it then that we also are intentional about who we're inviting to do life with? If we're to be true disciple makers, do you think we just invite anybody to join us on that journey? These people are in your everyday lives. They're people you see at the bus stop. They're people you see at the lunch table. They're people you see at work. They're people you see in your small groups. They're people you sit next to in this church. They're people that you're already doing life with. This idea of discipleship is not some lofty idea that's unattainable. They're people that are doing the things that you like to do. Jesus walked up to fishermen, and there were already a group of them because they enjoyed doing life together. They enjoyed fishing together. And he says, hey, come with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's speaking a language to them that they already know. And they're like, oh, cool. Do, do we really get to fish? Yeah, I mean. But it's much, more, it's much greater than that. Jesus' greatest commandment, the commission, the great commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, and then what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what? Teach them to obey. So you're inviting these people to disciple in your life, people that you're already doing life with, and then you're teaching them to obey. There's a little bit of investment here. I know the word investment. When you think of investment, what do you think of? Money, okay, sure. Time, it's a good one. Anything else? We'll go with time. When you invest in something, you're giving your time to it. Jesus invested in these 12 guys. In fact, if you go back to the passage in the middle of it, um, when the disciples and Jesus, Jesus is taking a nap, right? And all of a sudden the storm comes up and the disciples flip out. Oh, water's coming in, we're going down. Jesus, wake up. And I can just see Jesus coming out of a deep sleep. <sighs> what the heck's going on? I go to sleep for five minutes, and what's going on? You guys are flipping out of your minds. Wind, rain, stop, waves, calm down. Guys, where's your faith? I've invested in you. You're going to carry my legacy. Do you really think I'm going to anything happen to you? Jesus spent time with these guys. He genuinely cared for them. He genuinely loved them. He walked daily with them. He did life with them. He would ask them thought-provoking questions about Scripture, about heaven, eternal things. He taught them what it meant to be in the Father's will, the Word of God. And he corrected them when they needed to be corrected, and he did it gently and humbly. He was intentional with them, in everything that he did. And most importantly, he prayed for them. He'd get alone and pray for these guys in their ministry. Life gets messy. The seas rage at times, and the storms go crazy. And there we are in a boat with somebody in life, and we look at each other and go, man, we're going to drown. But being invested means that we don't abandon them. 
being invested means that when things go crazy, we don't go, I'm out, dude. <laughs> Have fun in that boat. Could you imagine Jesus if the disciples woke up or woke him up and he was like, well, what are you guys going Whoa, this is pretty bad. Pfft, I'm out and walking on water back to shore. No. And he put too much into this already. He knew that they were going to be the people that would carry on his teachings. That we would be here today because these disciples followed in his footsteps. Being invested means that we don't abandon those people that we invite to do life with. Being invested means that we do our best to help calm the storm around them and point them back to God's word and encourage them of God's promises. Being invested means that we walk through the good times and the not so good times. And we gently and humbly correct them when they're wrong, out of love. Not because we want to look good, but because we know that through us, Jesus reigns. And through our lips and what we speak, out of us are the words that Jesus would like us to speak to those in our life. When I asked my wife, my future wife, Allison, to marry me, I knew that I was taking on an investment. Thank the Lord she's not high maintenance. Love my wife. But when I asked her to be my wife, I made promises that I would look after her, that I would care for her through sickness and in health until death do us part, that I would give her of myself everything that I was as a man to see that we would grow in Christ together and that she would be lifted up that she would know how beautiful she, were, she is in the eyes of the Lord. That's what I promised when I said I invest in this marriage to my wife. And then when my wife and I had children and we invested in these two little boogers, Leo and Chance, we said, Lord, we're going to invest in these guys to be young men, to honor you, to honor your word, to be obedient, to be lovers of you, Lord. And so we invest in our boys through praying for them every night. We invest in our boys through teaching them and correcting them humbly, gently out of love, and we invite them to pray with us. We invite them to be a part of our lives, to do ministry together. Life gets messy, and there's no way that Jesus was going to let anything happen to these guys. When we put our trust in Jesus, he's investing in us. He's investing in you. And until he's finished with you, and until it's time for you to go be with the Father in heaven one day, he's not going to let anything happen to you. Isn't that a nice promise to cling on to? When the waves are rough and the storm gets crazy, we've got that promise that he's invested in us. And until he's finished, he's not going to let anything happen to us. Twelve years ago, when I went on that canoe trip with Philip, neither one of us were strong in our faith. In fact, Philip didn't believe in a God. I was straddling the fence where I would be the good Christian boy on Sundays and I would do whatever I wanted to the rest, of the, the rest of the week. I did not have a relationship with the Father that went deep at all. And all that I can think of and all those close calls where we probably should have died was that Jesus wasn't finished with us. Because 12 years from that day until now, He's put me in a position to speak his word, to love on those around me. And he even put it on my heart when I asked him, God, 
who would I invite along this journey? Philip was one of the first people that came to mind two years ago when I came back on staff at Wood's Edge to be in my top five that I would pray for daily. Two months ago, Philip came to the Lord. <laughs> Philip now has a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wasn't done with us. And I guarantee you, he's not done with you. And there's people that you're doing life with right now, and you're in that boat of life, and it might be a little crazy, but he's not done with you. And he's not done with that person sitting next to you. I'm going to invite the band back up. And I might just ask you as the band's coming back up here. Are you in a boat right now with somebody that's a little rough? Maybe you're in that boat by yourself and it feels a little rocky. And you need to be reminded this morning that Jesus isn't finished with you. And if your faith is in Jesus, I'm just going to encourage you, hold on. Tough it out just a little bit because Jesus is going to calm the storm around you. If your faith is not in Jesus, I'm going to encourage you a little bit to put your faith in him. Part of our response this morning, if we're going to be true disciples and we're going to follow after Jesus and his life and how he was intentional with being in the will of the Father and he was intentional with inviting those into his inner circle to do life with, to, to teach and to correct and to love and to sharpen each other. And he was intentional about investing and caring and giving his time to these people. And I'm going to ask you, are, have you asked the Lord, God, who might I invite into my life? Part of your response this morning is getting along with the Father, intentionally just asking him, God, who is already in my life that, that's doing the things that I like to do that I can just be a little more intentional about caring for, loving for, teaching, and inviting the same back. That's true discipleship. And then both of you are doing that in other people's lives. And then I'm going to ask you, ask God how you can invest in them. Truly invest. It's easy to go through life thinking on our own, thinking what's good for me, what's good for me today, but waking up and saying, God, how can I serve somebody else? will change your world. And you will truly see God begin to work in ways that maybe you didn't think possible. And your challenge is going to be, when God puts that person on your heart, if they don't already come to church here, to invite them next Sunday to church, to Sidekick Sunday. And as Dwight said, maybe you don't even tell them it's church. Maybe you just invite them to a good time. No, tell them what they're coming to. You don't want to be deceptive. That's your challenge. Y'all pray with me. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.